Hello, it's Freddy Cruz, and I have made it my job to extract the stories of the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make the greater Houston area great. Enter Rania Mancurius, a Houston treasure. As Crime Stoppers' first CEO, she has led the way in creating new programs to promote public safety. During this episode, we talk about her move from Boston to Houston, how she's able to remain optimistic when she sees the worst of our city, and because we are in the month of July, summer safety tips for our kids. If you enjoyed this episode, there are two ways to help reach more people. You can share with your family and friends and go to Cruise Through HTX to support the show. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Let's go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to Cruise Through HTX. Let's start with the decision to move to Houston from Boston and what excited you about the opportunity to live here and what gave you reservations, if any at all? Yeah, well, it was a big decision for me. Um, I moved to Houston because I was getting married. And, um, and to be honest, I was, you know, I'm a native Bostonian. I grew up 18 miles west of the city in a big, a really big town called Framingham. And I was like a true lover of the Northeast. I love that it gets dark early in the winter. I love the snow. I love the horrible accents. I love Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. I love how rude people are, but yet how friendly they are. I love, you know, the greasy pizza. I love all of it. I really do. And so when my husband, who's a native Houstonian, native Texan, um, it became clear like he wouldn't live anywhere else but Texas. I had a I had a really tough decision to make. But um I I knew this is where I needed to be, you know, to marry him and have a new life. So coming to Houston was was difficult for me in the beginning. And I remember navigating, I was finishing law school, so I had to finish law school at the University of Houston Law Center and um, started like looking at like, what's next? Where am I going to work? And it was pretty clear that I was different and got called a damn Yankee one or two times in one or two interviews. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to navigate this. Um, but eventually doors opened and and I I found that there were a lot of really unique opportunities in Houston. So many that actually I wouldn't have if I stayed in Boston, which was like my true home. Um, and that was exciting to me. And, and one of those opportunities, obviously, being Crime Stoppers of Houston, I found it right away when I came here. I hate that somebody called you a damn Yankee because you don't even have a Bostonian accent. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Freddie, what's so funny is I didn't know there was a Boston accent. I know I hear it in the movies, of course, and there are certain pockets of Boston, like, you know, the, like the southern part, like Quincy areas where it's very prominent. But otherwise, I never heard it. And And now when I go back, I'm like, my gosh, every single person has a Boston accent. And I, of course, I love it, but I, I never, ever heard it growing up. And yes, you know, I, I interviewed at a few law firms when I finished law school, even though traditional law was never what I wanted to do, but I, I wanted to work. So I just, I interviewed and I had two different people say, you're great. You know, you're president of your class, you graduated great grades, blah, 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 but you're still, you know, you're still just a damn Yankee. And I remember the first person who told me that I said, that, sir, that's fine. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I said, but just so you know, um, people from Boston don't like the New York Yankees. We like the Red Sox. And like he like looked at me and I looked at him and I'm like, 
wait, you're not talking about baseball. <laughs> you're talking about like, I'm a Yankee, like from the North. And he was like, yes. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but you know, things have changed so much. That was 2006. You know, the world is a different place now. Houston is a different place for sure. Now, when you go back home though, do people accuse you of having a Texan accent? Even though I, as a Texan, don't hear anything Texan about your voice. It's just a voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. They think, um, they assume what's interesting is they assume my views have changed. Mm. So, you know, it was very interesting during COVID when I went back and they'd say, oh, of course you don't want to wear a mask. You're from Texas. And I'd say, wait, what? You know, or of course you don't think that you're, you're in Texas now. And I'd say, wait, what's happening? So it's weird how just inherently it's just present in the, in the, in the country, you know, the Northeast looks at Texas a certain way and Texas looks at the Northeast a certain way. And, um, that's all, it's been really unique to navigate. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It is Texas and the other 49, uh, if yeah. we're honest here. <laughs> <laughs> and now I understand what that means. Now, now I understand that deep Texas pride and, and have traveled, you know, quite a bit of the state and see, sort of the beauty and, and the uniqueness and understand why my kids are, I feel like every other year doing Texas history. I'm like, we're doing the Alamo again. Okay, well, let's do it again. You know, and there is a really, really wonderful sense of pride in this state. Absolutely. If you could reverse engineer your life, what nuggets from your childhood or even adolescence uh, can you point to that shaped your career leading you to becoming CEO of Crime Stoppers? You know, actually there was quite a few and, um, I always said in law school, the one people say, well, you did a master's in marriage and family therapy. You're in law school, so certainly you're going to do family law. I'd say, no, I don't think I want to do family laws, but I don't know. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I do know that I never want to do crime. I know that for sure. I didn't like criminal law, the class. I don't want to do – I didn't take any additional criminal law-related classes. Um, but here I am at Crime Stoppers. And so when I go back and look at how did I find such a home here and how did – that day when I walked in the doors in 2006 and Catherine Cabanis, the executive director at the time, was looking for an intern at $10 an hour. How did I look at that and say, yes, that's me. This, that has to be me. And it really, when I do, and I love that question, if I reverse engineer and I look back, you know, I grew up in a home, parents that were immigrants. I was the only one in my family born in America. Um, my parents were, worked really hard to build a family for us and a life for us. And it was very common that dinners around our house were touched on law and public policy and safety because they come from the Middle East, a part of the world where it's um, anything can happen at any time where people get killed for their faith or willingly die for their faith. Uh, people have such different views on poverty and justice if you're a male versus a female. I mean, these just are very common things we would talk about. And actually, one of my mentors growing up was Camelia Sadat, who was the daughter of President Anwar Sadat, the Egyptian president of Egypt. Um, and I brought her to my elementary school third grade show and tell, thinking that was like the greatest thing you could bring. And she was going to talk about like history and policy and, you know, was so offended that the teacher gave the kids like, you know, crayons and color sheets and all these other parents were in the room. I was like, I brought this for the kids. <laughs> but they were like, oh God, so bored by it. But that sort of deeply woven in me. I remember watching Barbara Walters interview like national figures 
sitting sort of crisscross on the floor of the family room in the 80s thinking like, I just love this woman and I love what she's doing and I love these conversations and I love the impact they have on communities and cultures. Like I always found, you know, the Boston Police Department to be such an interesting group. You know, on the one hand, there were so many conversations about how they treated different pockets of the community. On the other hand, you know, they were so diligent about public safety. So Ultimately, when life brought me in a really roundabout way to this nonprofit called Crime Stoppers in 2006, um, walking in, I thought I would never work here. I'm just practicing interviewing in the nonprofit sector. But as soon as I started to learn about the mission, I said, this, is, this has always been where I was supposed to be. And I'll take any position they have, which was an internship at $10 an hour, which my husband thought was insane. But I knew it was where I was supposed to be. It's something we often do as we as we get older with the years, going back and thinking, wow, how did that even happen? You know, here's something that I didn't even really want to do, and now I'm leading the entire organization. I have always had a really strong work ethic and saw my parents work really, really hard. When I finally sort of walked into Crime Stoppers and learned about the mission and knew I had to be there. I brought that same work ethic. So if you want an intern, okay, I'll be the intern. My desk was in a hallway um, next to the printer, you know, the office printer. And I did the paperwork, shredding, you know, whatever. But I also took every opportunity to bring my talent to the organization. So they're planning their a gala and normally they'd have sort of local Houstonians. And I'd say, well, what about if we bring Barbara Walters or what about if we, well, wow, Renee, I mean, how can we do that? Well, I'll find a way. And so I started to sort of find areas of need and instead of saying, oh, there's a need there, I said, here's a need and here's a, a potential solution and I'll figure out how to get it done. And so eventually, you know, the intern sort of took on a position in marketing and then I became the director of marketing. Um, and then, you know, I stayed in that position until the current executive director became a judge. Catherine Cavanis became a judge and then the board asked me to apply for that seat as the executive director. But um which I did, not thinking I'd get the position, but I, I mean, I got the position and then eventually became CEO. But I, I feel like if you love what you do, you're willing to take the trash out, to um, be the face of the organization, which I have to do, answer the tough questions, answer the phone at two in the morning, uh, whatever it might be, you're willing to do it, you're happy to do it. And, you know, it's an honor to do it. So I've, but I felt that way even as the intern. And, and I think that's sort of what's led me to stay here this long and to have the position that I have. Crime Stoppers has been around for for decades. I mean, I remember seeing the 222 TIPS ever since I was a little boy and seeing Dave Ward talk about it, the iconic Dave Ward. It's, you know, the building is is named after him. And I'd like to go back to the building of the building and some of the challenges that you and the team faced because this wasn't even some, something that was thought possible. No. Actually, when I became the executive director, the, they said, okay, your first assignment, uh, that was 2013, your first assignment is to raise the money and build the building. And they, the, the board had already purchased the city block, which is where we are, and already had plans to build a building here. But they didn't know, are we going to renovate the bank that's already at the city block, or are we going to tear down and rebuild. And so we, we did sort of, you know, some type of investigation and looked at the current structure and what, what would it cost? Nobody knew what it would ultimately cost. So we 
decided to tear down the old Wells Fargo bank and rebuild from scratch. And so I knew the hard number was $10 million that had to be raised. I also knew that there was no donor pool from which for me to go to. Um, I also knew that the majority of the community didn't really know what we did. They just knew we were a phone number and why do you need a building for one person to answer a phone? Um, The community didn't feel connected to our work. That was a huge issue. So I not only had to raise $10 million and figure out how to build the first ever Crime Stoppers headquarters anywhere in the world, but I had to create a path to do it. And luckily, we have a great team. I had one of the best, and I still have, you know, one of the best development directors in the in the city, if you ask me, um, Cabell Wood. She's fantastic. We worked with one of the best consultants, in my opinion, in the city, Ellen Kokonos. Uh, we ended up meeting Laura and Dave quickly in terms of, we've always worked with Dave, but we started talking to Laura about, you know, would she chair the campaign? And she said, yes. And we put it in Dave's name. That was always the plan. And and so we had the powerhouse of the wards with us and an incredible board, uh, chairman Fenner Weller and, and, and the, the expertise he brought to it. And then we had angel donors. I mean, people that we sort of say, will you please meet with us? Uh, no, well, please meet with us. Okay, fine. And we'd walk out with, you know, $100,000 check. One man gave us a million dollars. I mean, it was, Freddie, one day I'm going to write a book about the miracles of this time because I don't want to, I don't want them to not be shared, but there were miracle, miracles after miracles after miracles. Um, and, you know, Nicole Christoph, our deputy director, who, who was able to work with Mission and get all the, the, the nuts and bolts of the building built, it was just it was so hard and I blame every gray hair and every wrinkle and every pound gained on that time. But I also would not trade it for a moment. And my girls saw me cry and my girls saw me, you know, frustrated. And then my girls saw me cheer on and my girls saw the building get built. And it it was just, it was, it was the greatest experience. There's a lot to unpack there. So I want to go back first to, the community not really knowing or feeling connected to the organization. And that hurts because I literally just said, it's been around since I was a kid. I'm 47. I remember seeing Dave literally as the anchor man talking about Crime Stoppers and the iconic logo and the number. And so how how were you able to garner that support? And then did this disengagement have anything to do with the sort of um, notion that it's not possible to raise the funds. Yes, the disengagement did. Um, but I remember, you know, telling people that's okay. I'm going to pray. There's power in prayer and I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to work harder. Our team's going to work harder than anybody else. I see every obstacle. I get it, but there's always a solution. So um, what's weird about my history is I, I did my master's in marriage and family therapy and I went to law school, but I, what's, I don't talk about a lot is I went to law school in Boston in the evening and during the day, my sister and I ran a fashion magazine. And the reason I bring that up is because in the production and execution of that fashion magazine, which meant we were always in Boston or New York city, we were constantly dealing with advertisers, marketing agencies, brand developers. And I learned the art of telling about a product. And I also learned that you have to know who your audience is. So the words differ based on the audience. And one thing I recognize with Crime Stoppers is we were only speaking to one audience, the tipster. 
we were always saying, call two, two, two tips. If you have information, call two. Well, the average person is like, I don't have information. Therefore you have nothing to do with my life. Um, so when I started to realize we needed to be speaking to a different group, yes, we have to always be speaking to the tipsters for sure, but we also have to be talking to the families that we serve through crime prevention education to the schools, the school communities, because we go into the schools that, you know, middle school and high school, uh, making sure kids are safe proactively to community members, to business owners, to moms who are shopping, uh, to the donors. We created an entire new messaging format. And that was where I started to see um, sort of the Titanic shift. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because in order to stop crime, you should really actually prevent it. And how do you prevent it? By changing the messaging. And how do you change the message? You talk to the people who are directly affected by some of these crimes, the moms, the kids, the dads, the grandparents who are just, all they want to do is get gasoline at the station and then boom, they're attacked by some dirt bag. Yeah. And those stories become everyone's story. You know, we saw a change in Houston too, I have to say. Um, Let's say around 2013, crime wasn't what it is now. So yes, you would see the jugging outside of the bank, but it was kind of rare. You know, the, the smash and grab at the mall was very rare. It was, it was more like the domestic violence case, the child abuse case. Uh, And people would say, those are horrible. Those are horrible, but it's, not my family. It's not going to be my family. Uh, the school violence. Oh, that's horrible. That's so sad. But that's why I send, you know, our kids to a private school and blah, blah, not my kids. My kids don't go to a private school, but I'm just saying that's what you'd hear in the community. Right. But crime changed. And now you start to say my car got stolen from my driveway in front of my house. And I was at the Galleria with my kids and people were shot outside. Like, it's gotten out of control and the everybody's feeling in. Plus now we're starting to understand no matter where crime takes place, even if you feel like it's far from you, it ultimately impacts you. And so it's it's everyone's problem. And the community connection to Crime Stoppers has grown exponentially through the years. Now there's a wait list for our safe schools program. We're, ac- we're asked constantly to go to different communities um, to speak to their groups of all ages, all ethnicities. And it's wonderful. I mean, I'm thankful to see that engagement increase. Going back to something that you had mentioned when we were talking about the building of the Crime Stoppers facility, you talked about your kids seeing you happy and sad and they see the building of the building and and the celebration, but, you know, they see the opposite side, the struggle of getting it done. So I think that's that is fantastic because as a parent myself, it's it's okay for kids to see every end of the spectrum uh, of what their parents are going through because that tells them that it's okay for them that it doesn't it, life is not always going to be the rainbows and unicorns and and mom you in this case mom is working a job where she sees the darkest side of the city we live in. So how, how do you remain optimistic, um, for, for your children when you're seeing some of this stuff? So for me, um, I remain very optimistic because the blessing is in, is in the challenge and the blessing is in the opportunity. So I'm always thankful for the opportunity to do this work, whatever it looks like to me, it's always a blessing. And then in the challenges, I'm so thankful for the chance to navigate through them. And, and, you know, for a long time, 
I, I was pretty much ignored. You know, I'm doing this job when people need me, I'm here. Uh, yeah, you get awards. You know, I was told when I got this job, nobody knows you, you need to, you need to have people submit your name for awards in Houston. That's how it works to sort of put yourself out there. Um, and I said, okay, oh, that's great. I'll do that. But then, you know, um, you, you're trying to get, you know, this money for funding and there you get yeses and you get horrible no's, you get insulted, <laughs> you, you, then people use all your work against you. I mean, they've seen me go through all of it, but I have, and they've seen me cry and they've seen me be frustrated and they've seen me sad, but they've also seen me every day say, I cannot wait to get to work today. Whatever that means, whether I'm sitting in the office as I am right now talking to you or going to meetings or sitting in my home office or going into schools every single day, that's what they hear me say. And, um, they'll say, mommy, what if, but what if, you know, people are mean to you today? I say, that's a great opportunity for me to show my my character. It's a great opportunity for me to answer when the work is challenged. It's a great opportunity for me to lean on my faith and lean into my faith. Um, that's those are those are things I'm thankful for. And now, as my girls get older and sort of they have their own you know challenges at school, I see them kind of use those same skills. You know, they tell each other, but that's a great opportunity for you to show your friends how strong you are. And that's a great opportunity for you to study harder and see if you can do better. So I'm really, I'm proud that that's a lesson that we've sort of as a family have learned. And that really is one of the most rewarding parts of being a parent when the kids are integrating something that you all have been talking about at home into their everyday lives when when mom and dad aren't around, right? So that's great. I'd, I'd love to shift the conversation, Rania, if we could, to summer safety. Here we are at the beginning of July, and what are some safety tips for moms and dads as we go into the back end of the summer? Summer is a time when the routine totally changes and conversations, we all want to break. We've all gone through the rigorous academic months, but we can't put safety on hold. And so what we challenge parents to do is shift the conversation. If your kids are going away to camp, you got to have safety conversations with them. Unfortunately, you know, we study camp safety and we've seen a lot of issues arise in the camp setting. You got to at least let your kids be prepared uh, to, to be able to talk or share or communicate with you. Uh, if they're home during the summer and you have a pool, pool safety is one of the biggest issues we face every single summer, the accidental drowning of children. I mean, it, the most gut-wrenching thing for families to go through. So you've got to talk about water safety and do it often. And then third, because most of our kids are not overly scheduled in the summer. I mean, they, they are still, but not as much as during the school year. You got to talk about online stuff. You know, it's not anything goes in the summer. They still have to have rules and an understanding of how to navigate that online space because they will be talking to more people. They'll be in different pockets of the online area. And uh, those conversations become more important than ever. Crime-stoppers.org is where you can find out about the things that Rania Mancurius and her team are up to with Crime Stoppers of Houston. I'd be remiss if I did not mention this incredible podcast that is in season number six. It is The Balanced Voice, hosted by my friend Rania. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, on Spotify, all the places. Rania, it's an honor to speak with you, my friend. Thank you so much, Freddie, for having me. This was so much fun. You were doing the best job, and I really appreciate it. Thank you again. Hey, 
You're not going to make it through the entire episode without me reminding you once again that if you enjoy this podcast, you can help me grow the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and by signing up for the newsletter. I can guarantee there will be free stuff involved at some point before the end of summer. So if you want to get in on some freebies, you can sign up at cruisethroughhtx.com, C-R-U-Z, through hx.com.